0: That the same God who when the three Hebrew children were in the fire, they said, wait, wait, I thought we threw in three, but there is four. That the same God that led his people through the Red Sea on dry ground, that same God is here today. We don't have to question it. We don't have to doubt it. But whatever we need today, he's here And he can still do exceeding, abundantly, above all we could ever ask or think. His arm is not short concerning his promises. His ears have not grown deaf. He is still a prayer answering God. He is still a promise keeper. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah to Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. Oh, I feel him in this place today. I'm so thankful that you would visit with us today, Jesus. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your power. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. I direct your attention today to Jonah chapter 1. I'm so thankful for the presence of the Lord that I feel in this place today. How many know there's liberty in the presence of the Lord? Anything can happen when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes into the room. And I'm thankful that he would meet with us here today. Jonah chapter 1, starting at verse number 1, I just... Say, if this is your first time here with us today, I want to welcome you and uh, just thank you for for worshiping with us. We believe at this church that we do life better together, and we can't think of a better way to spend our Sunday than gathering together and celebrating uh, a God that has done so much for us. And so this isn't uh, a mere just emotional. I guess it's emotional, but it's it's far greater than just an emotional response uh, because it's deep. It's, it's, it's motivated and fueled by the gratitude that is within us because of the great things that God has done for us. And we're thankful for that today. Amen. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, and their wickedness has come up before me. Verse number 3 but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord the Lord says go to Nineveh he says I've heard it's sunny and Tarshish it's like the old song that maybe you remember Carmen used to sing he used to sing please don't send me to Africa I don't think I have what it takes I think Jonah captured that sentiment. Verse 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Two weeks ago, we started a series on made for more and really uncovering the purpose that, uh, or or let me say it this way, the God-wiring that we were created with. And in week one, we talked about how Our purpose is determined. Jeremiah said, uh, or the Lord said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you. David got the revelation that in his mother's womb, the Lord had a book, and in it, he had already written all of his days. And so, it's not something that you create, it's something that has been created for you. And we ultimately ended that week by saying, My purpose must be discovered. And I think a lot of us maybe fall into that place where we question our purpose. But I would venture to say that a larger number of us fall into this week. And that is, we know our purpose, but we're wrestling with it. God's given us a peek behind the curtain and he showed us the talents and the giftings that he's put within us. And and maybe we're not exactly like Jonah, but maybe we've been running from what God has called us to do. And so I want to speak specifically on wrestling with purpose today. So why don't you uh, set your Bibles down and uh, once again, would you mind lifting your hands in this place and, uh, and would you just ask the Lord to make it personal for you today? Let Him know that He has your attention today, that that yeah, we might have plans later this afternoon, but we're going to let these next few moments matter and we're going to ask that God speaks to us. Would you lift your voice with me, Jesus I thank you, Lord, for what you have done in this place. I thank you for the freedom and for the liberty that we have in your presence. Thank you for the opportunity we have to walk, God, with you. One of the greatest things we can do in this life is walk with you, Jesus. And so I pray, God, that on this journey called life, that we wouldn't wrestle with what you have given us, but we would accept it and walk in it. Lord, within this building today are people that have been given talents and giftings Lord Uh, skills Lord some uncovered some still to be discovered but Lord I pray that our answer will always be yes that whatever you want from us God whatever you desire of us that we will give to you Jesus lead us Lord and guide us in these next few moments in the name of Jesus we pray Jesus name why don't you clap your hands into the Lord Look at your neighbor. If it's appropriate, say, out of all the people in this room today, you look the best. Thank the other person next to you for brushing their teeth today. We appreciate it. Amen. An encounter with God is only as good as what you do next think about that statement what happens in an encounter with god is equally as important as how i respond to it now now i'm not diminishing an encounter with the lord because just a moment in his presence changes everything A moment in his presence can deliver an addict from any substance that has bound them. Just one one moment in the presence of God can take a lifelong addiction and can create deliverance in just a second in the presence of God. One moment with God can heal a life that has been littered with scars and hurts and disappointments. Just, just one moment in his presence and things that we've hide, hidden or suppressed. and Things that our neighbors don't know about. One moment in the presence of the king. And everything can be laid bare and can be healed. One experience in his presence can wash away every sin. Every failure, everything that has stained our past. You, you may say, I, You don't know my past. And I would say you don't know my God because we just have spent the last two weeks talking about the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that was shed some 2,000 years ago still covers every transgression, every mistake, every failure, and every sin. All I have to do is have an experience with God. One moment can change everything. How many of you have experienced that for yourselves? One moment with God. I love the old song. I'm not going to sing it. I'll leave that to Bishop. But the old song says, troubles vanish. Hearts are mended in the presence of the King. It's in His presence we find healing. It's in His presence we find deliverance. I know I'm being redundant, but I want it to sink in. It's in His presence we find direction. It's in his presence that, that, that a marriage that is hanging on by a thread finds the healing that it needs. It's in his presence we find strength. However, I return to my initial statement that an encounter with God is only as good as what you do next. Yet, yet, yes, he's called you, but how will you respond? Yet, yes, he's healed you, He's forgiven all of your sins. But what will you do next? No one more clearly demonstrates this paradox than Jonah. We established last time we were together that Jonah clearly had purpose. He walked in his purpose. He was a prophet to the people of Israel. He had relationship and experience with God. He discovered his purpose. It wasn't a question. However, as time passes, the assignment changes. And the Lord says, okay, you've been comfortable speaking to your people. Now now I have another assignment for you. I want you to go to that godless, immoral people in Nineveh. And we see something that if you have a pen and paper, I'd like you to write down. The first thing we realize when wrestling with purpose is this. Purpose discovered. Unlocks the door to opportunity. Purpose discovered unlocks the door to opportunity. I I think sometimes this is where confusion happens, and we touched a little bit on this uh, at the end of week one, is so often people confuse purpose with position. And we think that a position defines our purpose, but a position is merely the vehicle or the opportunity to fulfill your purpose. That's why it's imperative you discover your purpose, because if you don't know your purpose, you begin to do whatever you think. And that's why there's more people that work in dead-end jobs and are more miserable than ever, because they're trying to create their own life. And they're trying to do what they think is best. They're chasing a dollar more than they're chasing the God-given purpose. And I found that when you walk in purpose, no matter what the career path is, it is you thrive in that because you're doing the very thing that God's called and intended you to do. So it's important we know our why because when you know your why, it will help you decipher the what. What? So many are trying to create the what and they're trying to figure out the what and they have no idea of the why. Am I making sense today? We want to know what's next. We want to know what do you want from me, God? What do you want me to do? And he's saying, okay, that's the right question at the wrong time. The first question is, why was I created? Why am I here? Because when I know my why... It will help me decipher my what. And as it is with Jonah, God reveals the opportunity. And it's important you understand that, that, that our why, we figure that out. God reveals that to us. But God is ultimately the one who, who reveals the opportunity that he has for us. God reveals the assignment. Look, look within Scripture. God made it clear to Noah. He said, build an ark. Think about that. Think about the complexity of that statement in a, in a day and in a generation where there was no rain. And the Lord says, I'm about to flood the earth. You need to build something. Uh, you have to just trust me. You, you haven't seen this. You haven't experienced this. But it's coming. And prepare. Prepare. The Lord said to Abraham, he said, leave, you're, I know you're established, I know you're comfortable, I, I know you're in a position uh, to retire, and, and you're not thinking about the next step, you're thinking about settling down, but, but I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. He speaks to David, and, and David accepts the challenge to, to fight the Philistine giant that has been coming day after day and looking at the Israelites and mocking the people of God, and when David sees it and when he hears it, he says, is there not a cause? We're going to let this man mock the people of the living God. Someone has to rise up and that someone will be me. Or how about Elisha? Elisha serves the man of God and, and eventually becomes the prophet to Israel. Esther, Esther approaches the king and she, she sacrifices and risks her life. That, that there is a possibility that when she goes before him he will not extend the scepter and she will die. And, and in each position In each circumstance, although the experience is different, there's a common denominator amongst all of them, and that's that God called them. God revealed the opportunity. However, notice something, and and I think, again, this is important because we are a people that that look around, and when we see how God interacts with other people, sometimes we assume that's the way that he's going to do it with us. And when our experience doesn't mimic someone else's experience, we think that there's something wrong with us. But look at the people I just mentioned. God, God spoke directly to Noah and to Abraham. But but David and Joseph, their past experiences gave them the confidence to walk in their future promise. The, the past things that God had done in their life, Pastor Carlson, David. I, i fought a lion. I've fought a bear. This giant's no different. Joseph, I, I have dreams, yes, but, but I, I've answered. Uh, I've, I've been in prison, and I've, I've helped others with their dreams. How is this going to be any different to go to the Pharaoh and answer his dream? And then there's Elisha, and then there's Esther, and there was a man of God in their life that said, hey, listen, trust me. You're called. Take a step. And so let me, let me, let me just bring this down even further so that we can, we can look at it in our life. So, sometimes the open doors of opportunity comes in a couple ways. The, the first way you might want to write this down is it comes from a direct call from God. God is still calling. And there are many people today who come down to an altar and they get an impression in their, their spirit and maybe it's not an audible voice. Sometimes we think that it has to be this audible voice. Sometimes it's a gentle impression. And we're here, and God is speaking through our conscience. And we're saying, I feel like you're asking me to do this, God. And sometimes, sometimes it's through a dream. We go to bed at night, and it's not the pizza. It's God trying to get our attention. And as we're laying our head on the pillow, God is speaking to us, and he's showing us things. And we wake up, and we think, that, that was so real. Sometimes God speaks directly to you, He directly calls you, He directly shows you what He's going to do. He, he directly unveils something in your life, but that it doesn't always happen that way. The, the second thing is, sometimes it's an obvious alignment of past experiences meeting a present need. That's a mouthful. It's an obvious alignment of past experiences meeting a present need. So sometimes we can pull from the past. And we're walking this walk with God, and we get to a season of our life, and there's familiarity, and we don't understand why it seems so familiar. And we realize, okay, this, is the, this must be the next step, because, because God has dealt with me this way, and this way, and this way, and this is the obvious next step. It, throughout my life, this has been a lot of the times how God has dealt with me. There, there's past things that lead me to a point, and I see the door, and the door's open, and, and God isn't opening the, 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 the clouds, and, and there's not angels coming down and, and speak. No, no, it's, it's not happening that way. But there's this, this understanding when the door opens, that's the next place to go. It's clear. I, I can look at my past, and every step I've taken has led me to this place. And, and so sometimes... You're looking for a voice, and God's saying, just look at your past. See the things that you, see, God doesn't waste any of our experiences. The good, the bad, the ugly, the the things that we wish would never have happened, God says, listen, I can use them all. And so the things that you look back in your past and you're ashamed of, the things that you look back and you say, I I really wish that wouldn't have happened, God says, listen, it wasn't my design that that happened. That That was a result of sin, but I can use it. I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to clean you up and I'm going to heal you from that past. And, and I'm going to give you a platform to, to, to show how powerful your testimony is and can be. And, and the thing that was a, a source of great pain will become a source of strength. That's why, why, why Paul said, I, I, I pleaded with God uh, three times that he would take this thorn from my side. And God said, no, 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 my, my grace is perfected in your weakness. You don't like weakness, but it's in your weakest places that I show up the strongest. So don't, don't try to get rid of the weakness. Don't try to hide the weak things. Stand on those weak things and know that God's using them. And then the last way that at times it comes is a direct invitation from a spiritual leader. Pastor, pastor calls you up. Hey, I've been praying about this. Would you consider doing this? Someone you respect, a a mentor, a leader in your life is talking with you. You see it all throughout scripture. The man of God would walk up and would say, hey, you're next. Samuel, I've seen all the sons, but they're still, this is not the one. God hasn't chosen any of these. Did, Did God speak to Jesse? No, God spoke to Samuel. Samuel anointed David. David accepted it and walked in it. And so sometimes it's a leader, it's a a person. That's why I would caution you and say voices have value. And we have to be careful the voices that we allow to speak in our life. Because there are a lot of voices that have opinions about your future. There are a lot of voices that want to tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. There are a lot of voices that when you feel a call of God on your life, they will talk you out of it if you let them. Surely you shouldn't be doing that. Your life is so much more than that. And so we have to, we have to sort through these. But at the, at, the, at the core of all of these, God is the one revealing and locking the door of opportunity. But, but as it was said earlier, how do I respond to the opportunity? How I respond is revealing. How I re- respond is of the utmost importance. How I respond determines the course of my future and, and so how will you respond or how have you responded the Lord calls Jonah Jonah go to Nineveh and we don't get what Jonah says we just get what Jonah does but if we could put words to what Jonah says Jonah says nope <laughs> uh thanks but no thanks I appreciate the confidence, but I'm going to have to politely decline. And Jonah flees. And here's the second thing we can understand about wrestling with purpose. God opens the door. I have to walk through it. God will open the door of opportunity, but he doesn't kick you in it. He he lets you See, we've been given something called free will. God, God, isn't, God isn't a puppet master, and we're not a puppet. God has said, listen, I have this perfect plan for your life, and if you would submit to it, if you would surrender to it, if, if you would be willing to, to say no to, to delay and no to disobedience, if you would, would be willing to choose my will, over your will. My, my plan is far vast, far bigger than anything you could ever imagine. But you have to be the one to say, okay, I, I surrender to it. And, and maybe when we look at the life of Jonah, maybe it's a little extreme. And maybe none of us. I, you know, I was thinking about this as I was preparing this. And I thought, nobody at this church would ever respond that way. I know you. I, I know a lot. We've had dinner together. We've shared meals Uh, Wednesday, Wednesday, last Wednesday, was one year of me being a pastor. And in one year, I've had lunch and dinner with most of you. And in that time, I know you guys. You you would not say no to God. These are good people here. Or, Or maybe you wouldn't respond the way that Jonah did. Maybe a lot of times, our response looks more like Moses. And Moses is one that has a similar interaction with God. Moses Grew up in Egypt and and he's accused. Because he did it, he killed an Egyptian taskmaster, and, and his life is now, uh, he's about to get in trouble for it. And so he flees to the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness after 40 years that, that he comes and, and he confronts a burning bush. And, and he comes and sees this thing that, is, that, that, that happened a lot in the wilderness. It was natural for, for, for the heat of the desert to let bushes just start on fire, but usually it would be consumed. And so what draws him is not that it's on fire, but the fact that it's on fire but not being consumed. And so he says, I need to see this thing. And so he comes to it, and the Lord speaks to him and says, take off your shoes for the place you're standing is holy ground. And the Lord begins to lay out the plan. Here's what's going to happen, Moses. I'm going to send you back to the very place you flee from. Yeah, I know there's wanted posters and they might look a little worn down and Moses' name has been forgotten, but I'm going to send you back to the place that you were so quick to get out of because I have a plan for you. And God outlines the entirety of it. And he doesn't often do that to us. Sometimes, most times, he just gives us the next step. But for Moses, he says, listen, you're going to come back and you're going to worship me on this hill. He tells them the story. And the first thing Moses says to him, it's recorded in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11. Moses says, who am I? And I've learned that a lot of times the wrestling match with God looks a lot like this. Moses wrestles with three things. And I think if you'd be honest today, you probably have wrestled with all three of them, if not currently wrestling. But the first thing he wrestles with is identity. Identity. Who am I? It's a good question. It's a question of qualification. It's a question of experience. It's a question of background. You see, Moses wasn't a fool. Moses grew up with a good education, and Moses realized that in his past he was an orphan. He realized that, that I was living in luxury while my people were suffering. I'm a murderer. And he begins to to play past scenarios in his mind, and they're disqualifying things. And and surely, I'm a vagabond now. I've lost my influence. When I go back, there's a new pharaoh. He doesn't know who I am, or maybe he does. But Lord, the time to have done it was when I was there. The time to have been the deliverer is when I rose up and, and killed the Egyptian taskmaster. That's when you should have used me. And God goes, no, no. Now is the time. And Moses says, who am I? I think we wrestle with that question. It's a disqualifying question. It's a you-can-use-anyone-but-me question. It's a if-only-you-really-knew-me, you-wouldn't-want-me-to-do-this question. And because we wrestle with our identity, we consider our past failures, our disappointments, our flaws... We wrestle with, with our mistakes, where we fall short, what we bring to the table. You fill in the blank. You, you know what it is to you. You, you know the thing when, when someone asks you and says, hey, God wants to use you here, or when God calls you. You know the thing that ultimately your mind goes back to. I don't know it. But but I've realized that that there is a uh, there is a common emotion that is wrapped into all of those feelings. And the emotion is shame. Within Within any time, God calls us to do something in our identity. The emotion that that resonates and likes to creep up is shame. Now now understand something. Shame is different than guilt. Guilt says, I did something bad. And guilt a lot of times is a positive emotion because it drives us to rectify the situation. Shame says, I am bad. And shame, when not handled properly, eats away. It erodes us. Shame is that warm feeling that washes over us, making us feel small, flawed, and never good enough. Shame tells us that since we are flawed, therefore we're unworthy of God ever using us. And the worst thing we can do when feelings of shame creep up in our life is wrestle with them by ourselves. Say nothing at all and let the judgment pile on us. Because those are the three things that shame feeds off of. Silence, secrecy, judgment. Shame likes to get you alone. And in the early morning, when you're all by yourself in your prayer time, shame likes to whisper in your ear, you're not good enough. Your past disqualifies you from what you think you're going to do. Shame shame likes to tell you things that are lies, and, and, and how it usually goes is out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, all things are established. I've told this story before, but, but I remember when I was a youth leader, and I, I felt shame, and I, I, I said to my wife, it was a thought that I had been wrestling with for such a long time. I, I'd, I'd been feeling like I was a failure. I'm not doing anything. I'm not making a difference. And I looked at her, and I said one day, I'm a failure. And, and she encouraged me. She didn't just say, yeah, you are. <laughs> you might as well quit. She, she encouraged me, but it was a week later that I was talking with a parent, and they, at the conclusion of the conversation, it didn't go the way they wanted it. They looked at me, and they said, you're a failure. I thought it. I spoke it. Someone confirmed it. And I went through a series of, 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 of months where that, that cycle of constantly feeling shame, I can't... Every time I would try to prepare, every time I would try to do something, every time I would try to make a difference, because you see, that's what shame does. It corrodes our confidence. It eats away at our faith. It erodes what's true, and it allows our emotions to fester on things that are false. And if we're not careful, it leaves us unwilling and unable to move forward for God. That's why Paul, in writing Romans, he said, but indeed, O man who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? But if we're all honest, we've said a variation of that to God. Why did you create me this way? We, we, we look at, the, he's the potter and we're the clay, and the clay screams out and says, why do I look this way? Why, why have you shaped me this way? When I look at others, they're shaped better, they're skinnier, they look better than I do. And shame erodes our confidence, it erodes our desire to go forward. But the reality is, God has made us with purpose, on purpose, for a purpose. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make accidents. There's no one here in the room that God said, oops. No, every one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. Every one of us has a plan and a purpose that God has directly (laughs) tailored to us. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, and he has a plan far greater. Paul knew it well, and that's why he said, and you are complete in him. By yourself, you might be incomplete, but when you... Connect to God. You're complete. And that's why God, when Moses says, who am I? God doesn't even answer his question. All he says to him is, I'll certainly be with you. He says, I'm I'm not going to humor your shame because I know better than you do. And so all you need to know when you say, who am I? Is I'm with you. (laughs) All you need to know is that when you step out of the boat, Peter, I'll be with you. All you need to know, David, is when you step out on that battlefield, I'm with you. All you need to know, Esther, is when you go into that room, you may be fearful, but I'm with you. All you need to know, Hebrew children, is when you walk through the fire, I'm with you. And although you might not feel it, others will see it, and I'll assure you that I will never let you fail because I'm with you. Moses keeps wrestling because that that answer... Short up one, one issue, but there's still others. And, and so Moses said to God in verse 13, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? It, it's a good question. Usually a, a leader had a, had a revelation of God, and so he would say El Shaddai or Elohim or, or, or this is the God. And, and so when these people ask me who sent me, it's, it's a question of credibility. The second thing he wrestles with is credibility. The first thing was, who am I? The second thing is, who are you? It's a question wrapped in relationship. If people ask about you, what should I say? It's a question looking for revelation. Understand something. What we do for God can never be greater than the time we spend with God. Let me say that again. What we do for God can never be greater than the time we spend with God. You see, the strength and the courage that you need, that the revelation that you so desire, the opportunities and the roles that God desires for you to fill will only come out of your time with God. What you do in private, Jason, will show in public And so often people spend more time doing for God than being with God. It's Mary and Martha where where she says, hey, Lord, I'm serving you. And all she wants to do is sit at your feet. And the Lord says, she's chosen the best thing. You're trying to serve me. She wants relationship with me. I'd rather you have relationship with me than serve me. Because you can get so busy serving me that you're serving a God you don't know. You're serving a God who you don't understand. And that's why you're trying to do it apart from me. They said when they, in Acts chapter 4 and 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Th- those, are, those are mean words saying, that's basically saying they didn't know. They, they, when, we, when they opened their mouth, we wouldn't have expected that to come out of their mouth. Uneducated and untrained, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. It, it wasn't what they did, but rather who they resembled. It, it wasn't who they were, but who they had been with that made the difference. And people said, hey, there's something about these guys We wouldn't expect that from them. And the only obvious thing is they've been with Jesus. I I want people to say that about me. I want people to look and say, hey, I knew David growing up, and I know what he's capable of doing. And when I see him, the only obvious solution is that he's been with Jesus. The only obvious conclusion that I can make for where he's going is that he's been with Jesus. And I think that should be the desire of each of our heart that people don't see me, but that when I do something for God, they say there's something about you, and it's not you, it's Jesus. There's something different about about what you say, and it's not you. I know you, but it's that you've been with God. You see, anointing will always take us further than ability. There's a lot of people that they try to do a lot with talent and ability, and, and good for you. Try, but, but if you couple that ability with anointing, you can do so much more. If you realize that what I walk in publicly, I'm going to purchase privately, that that before I stand up in front of you and and, and preach to you for 45 minutes, I'm going to make sure I spend longer in the presence of God so that when I stand up behind you, I'm not walking on my own accord. I'm not walking in my own power, but it's the power of God that's moving through us because without being in relationship with God, we can do nothing. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Moses keeps going, Carries him to the fourth chapter and first verse. Moses answered and said, but suppose they won't believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Then verse 10. Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Many say that, that Moses had a stutter. And he says, Lord... They're not going to hear me, but then when, when I do speak, I, you know the way I speak. And in verse 13, he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand whomever else you may send. He, 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 just, he just kind of blows up. He goes from what if they don't believe me to I don't speak well to just send anyone else. <laughs> anyone will do a better job than I. And the last thing that we see Moses wrestling with is ability. It's what if I Fail. It's a question driven by fear. It's a question driven by self-preservation. It's a, it's a question driven by control. How, how often have you froze because of the what-ifs? What if I try and it doesn't work? What what if I step out and it's not of God? What if I give it my best and it's not enough? What if others don't accept me? What if I come up short? What if I make a fool of myself? Have you been there before? I've learned something this year. There's a word for this, and the word is catastrophizing. Catastrophizing is where I see the worst case scenario in anything I'm going to step out to do. It's driven and motivated by fear. And so I, I know that I have an opportunity that's coming ahead, and when I play out scenarios in my mind, I play out the worst possible scenario. When I think about my performance at work, I think about the worst possible thing. If I don't hit my goals, they're going to fire me. If I don't show up today and do something for my anniversary, my wife's going to divorce me. If I don't don't speak with eloquence, they're going to reject me. And we play these scenarios that go to the worst possible place. Failure. And we blow up things before we've even walked in them. We disqualify things, and we see failure on the horizon before we've even taken a step forward. And if it's not addressed, it will cause us to run from the opportunity. If it's not worked through, it will cause us to be paralyzed in fear. That's why our relationship with God is important. Moses, in his closing moments to the children of Israel, he addresses them, and he knows that that they're about to walk into a season as they walk through the promised land and, and they're about to face some enemies and they're about to engage in battles that they didn't have to fight in the last couple years. And he says to them in verse eight of Deuteronomy 31, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. You, you have to realize that wherever God has called you to, he's gonna give you the ability to make it through. That, that God is already In the future. To to God, time is linear. God God is in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. And so when he calls you to do something, he's not going to set you up for failure. God doesn't tap you on the shoulder and say, I have a plan for your life. He doesn't have imperfect plans. He he doesn't want to humiliate you. He doesn't want you to fail. He doesn't want you to fall. And so when he tells you to do something, he has the confidence and the ability and he's prepared you so that you can move through it. I'm not sure what the reason was, but Jonah flees. He ignores his purpose. He, he runs away from purpose. He disregards his purpose. And, and we know the story. He's in the boat sleeping, and all of a sudden the wind and the waves and the storm get so bad that, that it's about to tear the ship in half, and they begin to throw things out. And, and Jonah, Jonah is really, if you ever study the book of Jonah, Jonah is crazy because everybody in the book of Jonah does the opposite of what you think they should do. The man of God runs from God. The unruly sailors fear God. The king of Nineveh fears God. Uh, It goes in the face of of anything you would have imagined. And and they wake Jonah up and Jonah says, listen, I know exactly why this is happening. It's not on you, it's on me. Uh, My God is is the God of the most high and they, they fear and they say, what should we do? And he says, throw me overboard. We can't do that. We, we wouldn't do that. And he says, No, that's the only way things are going to calm down. These God-fearing men throw him over the boat. And scripture says the Lord's prepared a great fish. When God finally gets Jonah's attention, it, it took a great fish. It took being in the belly of that great fish for three days. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe there was a little resentment in the first day. Maybe there was a little bit of a disappointment. Maybe he felt rejected and he felt angry with God. But eventually, maybe it took day three for him to say, listen, I've done wrong. In chapter two of Jonah records his prayer of repentance. Verse three, he says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the floods surround me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me, weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. If you read that prayer without considering where it's prayed, I'm sure some of us could honestly say, I felt that way. Yeah, when we put it in context, we, we realize he's talking about being thrown overboard and, and, and sinking in the water. But, but how many of us have been in a place where we felt like we're sinking and we look all around us and the waves are, are crashing over us and, and we feel hopeless and we feel like we're drowning? Could it be that God's trying to realign us with purpose? Could it be that God allows the storm to redirect us? Could, could it be that you've tried to write your own story and God says, my story's better. And so I'm going to allow some things to come into your story. And my hope is that these things, although uncomfortable, although painful, that if you would allow yourself, they're going to direct you back to the place I want you. And some of us have had to go through things And we've gotten eventually to the place, the shores, being thrown up by a great fish. And we have some wounds, and we have some scars that maybe God never intended. But he said, if you would just surrender to my will. If you would just surrender to my purpose and my plan for your life. I'm the one that will lead you. I'm the one that will guide you. Why don't you stand with me? You know, God, God doesn't ask a question that he already doesn't know the answer to. But, it, but it's still a strange question. As Moses is wrestling, thank you, as Moses is wrestling with the complexity of his calling, as he's wrestling and, and debating with God, God interrupts him and says, What's in your hand? God knows what's in his hand, God's not confused. And he says to Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses looks at it and says, a rod. Now now when we think about that, it it seems like a detail that we just passed by. But but what you don't realize is a rod was the shepherd's identity. The, The rod identified him by what he did. When he walked, people would identify who he was by what he carried in his hand. A rod symbolized his income, his wealth, the wealth tied to his livestock, all all the sheep that that were, were his, that he was in authority over. It symbolized his influence that he had. The Lord says, what's in your hand? This is everything, God. This is who I've identified myself as. This is who people see me as. This is what I've worked so hard to become. And God says to him, throw it on the ground. And maybe apprehensively he lets go of it. And what's dead in his hands becomes alive in God's. The very thing that he could have clutched on to all of his life. God says, if you would but surrender it to me. And when he picks that rod back up after it becomes a serpent and he goes into Egypt, there's many times where God says, stretch the rod. When you touch the water, it will turn to blood. When you throw it on the ground, it's going to become a snake and it's going to be more powerful than those magicians think and it's going to eat them up. When you come to the Red Sea and everybody's fearing because the army is behind you, you just stand in the middle of that water and you put that rod down. And yes, it identified something in your past, but I'm telling you, if you surrender it to me, it will become the means by what you are identified in your future. You're going to be on a mountain one day, and and Israel is going to be battling and warring with the Amalekites. and, And as you raise that rod, there's no power in the rod but what it represents. And as you raise that rod, eventually called the rod of God. As you raise the rod, you'll win the battle. And so here we are today, and some of us have been clutching tight to things that we've identified with. This is who I am. This is who I've worked long and hard to become. I've gotten my degrees. I've worked faithfully. I've done the work. I've done the time. And this is who I am. And I'm just wondering if you would be willing to come down to an altar and to lay it at his feet and to say God in my hands it provided me a house and a living and a career but I'm just foolish enough to put it in your hands and whatever you want to do with it my life is not my own I know how I feel about myself I know the insecurities that are inside of me I know the shame filled feelings that have kept me from stepping out, but Lord, I'm gonna step out today. And, and what I've been trying to do and has become dead in my hand dead end jobs, dead ends I'm just gonna lay it down at your feet today. And whatever you wanna do with it, Lord, would you do it? I, I opened this altar up today. Maybe you've been wrestling with your purpose. Would you step out? Would you come down to this place? And would you surrender what is yours to God? God, I give you everything. All that I am, Lord, all that I have. God, I give myself to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray today that you would touch these wonderful people. God, thank you for your purpose. Thank you for the plans, the thoughts that you think about us. David said if I were about to count the thoughts that you thought about me I wouldn't be able to count them they they outnumber the number of sand grains of sand on a sea God you think about me daily your purpose and your plan is so great would you touch these wonderful people today God would you lay your hand upon them Jesus would you let them know they've been called they have been chosen by you that your purpose for their life is great, that your plan is even greater if they would but surrender to it, Jesus. Touch them today, God. Keep them today. Direct them. Guide them today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Well today is a great day. Um, Brett has decided to get baptized. We were just talking a little bit about his story um, he has he has some some pretty cool dates. It was on our Christmas service um, that he uh, it was a couple weeks back he had decided that he wanted to start going back to church and so uh, he thought of a person that he went to school with I think if I remember correctly that lived their faith out the loudest and he didn't know Michaela that well but was uh, always admiring Michaela for her lifestyle and her commitment to God. And so he reached out to her on social media, I believe, and she invited him to come and he came on our Christmas service. And then uh, on Pentecost Sunday, uh, he was filled with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. And we rejoice with him and he's been uh, going on an adventure with Michael Curra uh, with the Bible study. And, uh, and today he is making the decision to be baptized in Jesus' name. So we are so excited for for him. And so why don't we do this? Would Would you extend your hand? And let's just pray that God would bless Brett. I believe he has a great plan for his life. And so let's just pray that this would be a springboard into what God has in store for his life. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? God, I thank you for this man of God. I thank you for his life. I thank you for his example, Lord, and his commitment to desire to do your will. And so I pray today, Lord God, as he is making a commitment, Lord, to have his sins buried, washed away under the blood of Jesus. Lord, you said old things pass away and all things become new. And so I pray right now that this would be, God, a defining moment in his life that God, as he comes out of this water, Lord, your purpose and your plan, God, would become clear to him and he would walk and commit to walking with you, Jesus. Touch him today. Lead him today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shredder, by the profession of your faith and your obedience to our Lord and Savior, I this day baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins.
1: You call my. Name. I How-